Welcome to Tales from the Waystone, a Kingkiller Chronicle reread podcast. We are your hosts, Will and Phoenix. Let's get into it. Welcome to Tales from the Waystone, episode 39, Enter the Dracus, where we will be looking at chapters 75 through 77 of The Name of the Wind through the lens of human ecology. First, a short explanation of the pod. Each week we will be examining a section of the book, The Name of the Wind, through a chosen lens and figuring out what we can take from the text to apply to our real lives. We will also take some time to explore models of practical wisdom from the text within Aristotelian from Neos of the Week, after which we will expand our understanding of our own world with an interesting fact and finally wrap up with seven words from the book and seven words from our own lives. Before we begin, let's get some disclaimers out of the way. First of all, as always, we remain currently unaffiliated with Patrick Rothfuss and his publisher, Daw Books, though as always, we're not opposed. Second of all, our discussions naturally assume that either A, you've read the main books, The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear, as well as any of the other novellas and short stories in the continuity, or B, you're a weirdo. I'm just going to leave it at that, a weirdo. But we like weirdos! We ourselves are weirdos, so yeah, weirdos welcome. Either way, spoilers ahead. Finally, while it's perfectly fine to critique the text as you've read it, we will not stand for any abuse towards the author responsible for it. In short, be kind to one another. Or more accurately, be excellent to each other. Absolutely. We may or may not have just really recently watched Bill and Ted. No way! <laughs> yes, way! <laughs> Alright, and so now it is time for us to start things off with our 45 second recap. Phoenix, it is your turn. Let me get a timer up and uh, we'll get this kicked off. So... I'm going to preface this with, I think this is the longest section we have ever done. Thanks to the first two chapters we selected being very short, and the third one being very long. Yeah, no way around it. No, I'm staring at my little earmarked book. The second one might be that long. I think we calibrated more towards short sections that are a little more bite-sized as we went along but not this time i'm not stalling i'm really not i swear not stalling i believe you i don't believe you <laughs> you ready sure in three two one go first we get a short interlude with chronicler and bast so that both can bask in his own cleverness then we get a chapter with a ginormous lizard that tries to mate with a fire, while Kvothe not so secretly hopes that Denna would do the same with him. After the dawn comes and Kvothe complains that his whole body is stiff, he tries his hardest to regale Denna with some interesting facts. What follows is an adventure involving a drug refining operation, Kvothe and Denna making many, many more poor life decisions, and a drug-addled, horny lizard that is the size of a horse cart, which Kvothe insists is not dangerous until he abandons his principles, and declares that, no, in fact, they have to kill it. 37 seconds. Not bad. There was a lot to go through, so good job. Thank you. So for this chapter, we chose as our lens human ecology, by which we mean the effect that humans have on the natural world around them, sometimes intentional, oftentimes unintentional. And this is a case study in unintended consequences across the board. 
But first, of course, we have that wonderful little chronicler bast and coat interlude. Yeah, Quoth paused expectantly, which is something that you <laughs> do a lot. You're like, I did something clever, or I did something awesome, or I made really, really good food. Please, please, please praise me. Though, <laughs> I can't say too much about this. Your dad does the exact same thing. You learned it from him. Yeah. Yeah. I do love, though, how Chronicler is able to kind of pull one over on Quoth. After Quoth has been playing high-handed for so long and making all sorts of demands about no interruptions, no changes or anything. I mean, to the point where he's making Chronicler erase entire pages just because he didn't like a thing that Chronicler had written. And so now Chronicler gets to give him exactly what he wanted. No interruptions from the person who wrote <laughs> The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus, which I will let everyone know again is seven words. But this whole section kind of makes me wonder if that really, really actually is Chronicler or Devin Lockheed's or what have you, because I think Foth is trying to test him. I think that Foth is like, it's a dragon! And he's hoping that the person that wrote The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus will go, well, actually. Although, to be fair, he hasn't actually given a description of it just yet. It could be some other dragon-like creature. Meh. And I think Chronicler's gonna wait. I think it is Chronicler. I'm not sure that it isn't, but I'm not sure that Kvothe thinks it is. I think Kvothe also maybe thinks a little more highly of his own storytelling prowess than may be warranted. So, in terms of other things that sometimes you might possibly do, <laughs> Bast chimes in with, me, 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 pick on me. <laughs> and Kvothe is just like, okay, well, but now that I've asked someone to jump in and say that this wasn't a dragon, it's no longer fun. It's kind of nauseating that you do this. <laughs> In this case, Chronicler and Bast are essentially being the ironic genie who will give you exactly what you wished for. I like that little interlude. It kind of helps reground the story back into this is a story about the story. But we get back in and Denna whispers, it's a dragon. And of course, Quoth, well, actually. <laughs> it's not a dragon. There's no such things as dragons. Actually, it's a Dracus and it's herbivorous. <laughs> He just keeps insisting that this thing is not dangerous. And Denna keeps looking at him and going, you crazy. It's not malicious. It's not carnivorous. But that doesn't mean it's not dangerous. I remember my family took a trip out to Yellowstone when I was a kid. It was a lot of fun. Granted, yeah, I spent most of my time in the back of the car reading Dune and its sequels. Classic Will on vacation. Nose in book. Yep. Pretty much. But one of the things that happened was in our campsite, there was a herd of bison that would periodically wander through. Now, bison have no desire to eat anything other than grass, shrubs, maybe occasional twigs, whatever. But at the same time, they were probably the most dangerous animal that we encountered, more so than bears or wolves or any other thing. Because here's the thing about bison. They have terrible eyesight, and if they feel like they're being threatened, 
they'll just kind of charge at whatever's moving. So you have to be incredibly still when you're around them. Because just because they aren't going to eat you doesn't mean they won't gore you thinking it's self-defense. I remember several rather graphic posters hung up as warnings around the campsite showing people being flung limb from limb by bison charging at them. <laughs> so not like Appa. Not like Appa at all. And I guess they didn't fly. They did not. But the people that they charged did. <laughs> at least for a little while. It's not the fall that will kill you. It's the landing. Let's continue going on and pass right over the fact that the lizard's trying to fork their campfire. And this is actually our first instance of human intervention changing animal behavior. The Dracus would not have approached if it didn't see their fire. Even though they're thinking that this is kind of a low-impact thing, it actually does change the trajectory of the Dracus and the Dracus's behavior. And naturally, it causes a bit of an issue for them, and also for the Dracus, because it thought it was going to be finding a mate, and instead all it found was a campfire. Seems happy enough, though. Yeah. Let's not forget that this is in the middle of the night, and both of them are very tired. The adrenaline from having to scramble up what is essentially Stonehenge made out of graystones... The adrenaline rush is gone, and now they're lamenting the fact that they do not have a blanket, that they are stuck on top of this cold thing, and their fire has just been forked out by a ginormous lizard. I'm having way too much fun with that. Uh, <laughs> and Quoth is going through the, a girl is touching me, a girl is touching me, a girl is touching me, a girl is touching me problem. Must be chivalrous, must be chivalrous. I must give her my cloak. I must do all these things and I must not touch her inappropriately. But God, I like this. Please keep, keep going, keep doing, keep, yep. <laughs> Which I think is actually a very real and very genuine description. He's not trying to be a creep. He's actually trying to be sweet, but hormones. I've been in his position. Doll. It's not easy to deal with oftentimes, but I think ultimately he seems to have handled it well. Yeah. I gotta say, though, as the other party, you don't necessarily know that you're causing that kind of a reaction. Not even just, like, the physical reaction, but, like, the emotional reaction or any of that stuff. You just think, I need somewhere that is soft and squishy to lay against instead of this hard rock thing. You're soft and squishy, lay down. And you just want to be comfortable, not realizing that you are making the other person intensely uncomfortable. But this is kind of cute. This whole thing is probably the most genuine interaction that they have had. So the morning comes and they climb down off the gravestone. First of all, reason to kick himself in the butt because he did not trade for the rope. Would have been handy. Very handy. Instead, he rips his travel sack because he's trying to use his travel sack as a rope. So it's here that we get a sense for just how long Kvothe's previous day actually was. In that span of time, he bought a horse, no small thing, 
rode 60 miles on said horse. That is a long ride. That is a massive workout. Yeah, and that is a one-way trip. You know that you are not going to be able to do that just any day, and I don't think anybody ever gets used to that. Uh, enough practice. So we had a 60-mile trip, and then... <laughs> that was just the morning. Then he walked a long way, and then rode a cart a long way, up to a farm, then went and had a picnic with pigs, and then... Walked up to the top of a hill. And you have described the last episode. Why did we have to take an hour to do that last week? You're being cheeky, but I take your point. Point being, he's had a long day. And yeah, he's definitely going to have to stretch out a little bit here. I like this little bit of the chapter because there is so much innuendo, which is so my style of humor. There's... Lots of references to Quoth being stiff in the morning. And Denna saying, we women folk don't have to worry about that as a general rule. I just about spit out my coffee when I heard that the first time, and I was probably at work, I think. <laughs> and then there's, have you ever seen one of these before? <laughs> so, and then, I mean, Quoth's morning isn't going well. Until then, a slides down his front. <laughs> As we go along, I'd like you to pay attention to just how many times Quoth is surprised that Denna isn't an idiot. <sighs> yeah, it happens quite a bit. He's surprised that she recognizes a loden stone. And then she asks him, well, how does it work? And he actually, for once, he admits that he doesn't know the answer to something. That whole bit there, which is a fancy way of saying I've got no idea at all, <laughs> was pretty hilarious to me. It reminded me of the old uh, Insane Clown Posse Miracles video, where they're like, magnets, how do they work? The Loden Stone, however, comes in handy. Now we have to go find all of the Dracus scales. And... Denna does the ingenious thing of rather than digging through the coals, she just uses the loading stone to try to make them come up. Denna strikes me as someone who, while maybe she doesn't have as much formal learning as Quoth does at this point, is better at putting together the facts that she does have. And as soon as she learns a fact, she much more quickly synthesizes something meaningful out of it. We get the obligatory, well, what about your patron? Maybe the Dracus ate him. <laughs> and going along, there's another one of those. Any hope I had for a storybook dalliance was thwarted by the fact that the stream that we ran across was only about six inches deep <clears throat> and not ideal for proper bathing. Womp, womp, womp. They do seem to take their time finding pleasant things along the way, including also the patch of ash berries. Well, that slowed them down for almost a full hour. I mean, they were hungry, right? Yeah. Are we sure that it's not just, like, that's blackberries, almost, that you wouldn't want to wade through? I kind of take it as both being a little cheeky here. Ah. So, fun fact about blackberries. We hail from the Pacific Northwest. Specifically, we both hail from the wet part 
of the Pacific Northwest, which is the western part of Washington and or Oregon. Blackberries grow in abundance, especially if left unattended. They are invasive. People have to rent goats to eat them, like the bushes. They are everywhere. So when I lived in eastern Washington, which is a desert, essentially, and I worked at a floral nursery, I was just like, why are we selling blackberry bushes? Who would want those? Right. I mean, people hate these things on the other side of the mountains. Yeah, like you say, there's a thriving economy around people renting out herds of goats for the purpose of clearing them out. Right. Just an aside, we get more and more of Dena saying, I thought you said that the Dracus wasn't dangerous because she's not an idiot. And Quoth going, but they eat plants. Why are you so afraid of this thing? Hippos aren't carnivorous either, but they're the most dangerous animals in Africa. Quoth's an idiot. Anyway, <laughs> we go along. There's more evidence of destruction. And they see the remnants of a fire like smoke. And it's still enough. There's not enough wind to make it dissipate. So they are like, fire, me go to fire. They have the same thought process as the Dracus. So they follow the smoke and it takes them to our second major human intervention in the ecology. At first, they're not sure exactly what it is, but they see the remnants of a cabin and some dude who got crushed. Not dangerous. Go on. First, they're not really sure what exactly this settlement is. But they do notice that the crushed guy has a decidedly illegal military-grade crossbow, which is kind of unusual, right? Right. They go so far as to actually state that it is illegal. Fun fact, later on in the next book, Kvothe buys a crossbow, which is decidedly illegal. Don't worry, it's purely for research purposes. It was, in fact purely for research purposes. Anyway, this paints a pretty puzzling picture at this point. Like, why did this non-dangerous, non-lethal, whatever, five-ton animal crush a man to death? Yeah, that's a mystery for all of the next five pages. Also, the mystery is, what was this guy doing out here in the middle of nowhere? Why does he have this dangerous weapon, which is pretty much overkill for any sort of local game, and also decidedly underkill for a Dracus. And why has he been dead for nearly two span? Which is like 22 days. It's like a month. Yeah, he's been out there for a while. He's a bit ripe. We just watched The Stand, like the 1994 miniseries of The Stand, and all I have is Don't Fear the Reaper going on in my head and just, yep, we're good. And this is also where they suss out that, yeah, this blue flame that they've been seeing in the night from the Dracus is almost definitely unrelated to the Chandrian. Although, Quoth keeps trying to shove that square peg into that round hole. Well, at least try and buy it dinner first. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on! <laughs> Denna eventually dissuades him from this line of thinking. <laughs> um... And lo and behold, the Dracus has also noticed the fire and 
the Dracus is horny. And hungry. And a drug addict. Because it turns out it looks like we found high fantasy Walt and Jesse. <laughs> okay, so I have a note that I jotted down in my book. And probably not terribly relevant, but it's still kind of an interesting thing that I've made an association with along the lines of the Dracus. They heard a thunder-like grunt. Grunt is a wonderful word. Anyway, so the Dracus is the embodiment of the flame, <laughs> the thunder. <laughs> and the broken tree. <laughs> <laughs> Explains why Quoth feels almost a sense of kinship with it. He just really doesn't want to have to hurt this thing. It's a beautiful, majestic animal that's going to trample him to death. You know, here's the impression I get of Quoth at this point. He's like a little kid who just checked out a book from the library about dinosaurs and has devoured this completely and has memorized it end to end. So you? Yes. And now he's finally in a position where he can see a dinosaur, which was never me, sadly, or any person within this human age. I think you could have left that off as person. That's true, yeah. Which is true for pretty much everyone. Pretty much everyone? I mean, there might be time travelers. There might be time travelers, you're right. So any non-time traveling person. And... So Matt Smith is fine, cool. Right. <laughs> so yeah, like, suddenly that book you devoured may be tangentially useful, and then now he just can't stop talking about it. I don't know what it's like to be Dena at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> He wasn't. Anyway. <laughs> Drug-addled Dracus chases them into a crevice, which turns out to be probably one of the dumber ideas, but also probably the only one that wouldn't wind up killing them immediately. Not a good idea, but it's the least bad idea. Yeah. Our story could have very easily ended with a gust of wind some flame, and two cooked bodies in a crevice. And no one would have found them. Ever. Yeah, nobody goes back here, which is why the dude set up his maple meth factory out here. So it's once they climb up to the top of the crevice that they're actually able to get a view of what's out there. And we see that not only is the dude harvesting sap from these trees, but he's actually set up a cultivated grove because each of the trees is in an ordered row. And that just doesn't happen naturally. Tree stumps at this point. Tree stumps. True. Yes, they are stumps because the Dracus has been eating them. This shows how monocultures can be incredibly harmful to ecologies. Like you look at like a cornfield. It has a lot of reverberations throughout the natural world in the form of the way birds migrate, bee pollination, things like that. It affects natural behaviors, it tends to warp the natural systems just because all you have is just a single crop as far as the eye can see. Again, this dude, I don't think he's sitting here thinking, oh, I'm going to cause harm to nature, but he also wasn't thinking, what effect am I going to have on nature? And, you know, with this sort of negligent behavior, he's essentially created a monster 
Almost literally. They're harmless until they eat tree after tree after tree full of drugs. Right. So the Dracus's behavior, while it's the result of a natural process, was set in motion by human foolishness. And it killed him. And speaking of human foolishness, Dana sees some, what she thinks is maple candy, sitting in one of these boiling pans, and takes a big mouthful. Which, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't do that. Suspicious looking maple candy out in the middle of the woods with a Dracus running after us. I'm gonna eat it. What? This has been sitting out in the open for no fewer than two weeks. Two span. Or two span. 22 days. It's been sitting open air. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Right? I mean, this is one of the few times that I really, really, really think that Denna's a dumbass. She does seem to have been hit by the idiot bat here for plot reasons. Yeah. <sighs> And again, this is human ecology affecting her. Her behavior here was set in motion by some idiot in the woods, not thinking about the consequences of his actions and not caring about him. This also, though, gives Quoth another opportunity to be the smartest person in the room, or the box canyon, as it were. He makes Denna eat a whole bunch of charred wood. Hopefully it works. Yeah, that first aid training in the Medica is paying off here. Maybe. Could be a placebo. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is activated charcoal and charred firewood are not the same thing. And we also see Kvothe kind of hedges bets when she asks, is she going to be okay? Okay, so from what I understand, this would be like taking a half a bottle of opium and just chewing it and maybe spitting it out maybe more like opium mixed with molasses yeah we go along and we get another mention of Kvothe's eyes changing color and it reminds me a little bit of how either Diok or Stanchion said he's a little bit fey around the edges yeah I remember that it's definitely a canny observation on her part Kvothe is surprised she noticed because, of course, he's surprised that she's not an idiot. It's also telling because he's someone who is in such control of every other part of his face, and it's the one part he can't. Like, this is probably the surest expression of whether he is being honest or lying about something. She says, I've been watching, which, let's be real clear here, if she had no interest whatsoever in him, like, at all, she wouldn't notice what color his eyes were multiple times over the span of two days. She obviously values him. In some form or fashion. Whether that's a crush, squish, friend. And here Quoth, I think, should thank his lucky stars, regardless of how she views their connection. She makes mention of when the pump handle broke, they went a dull green. When the swineherd made comment about the rue, both eyes went dark, and now, now they are pale like green frost. They definitely do seem to track his mood in a way that maybe his immediate facial expressions don't. She says, 
You must be terribly afraid. I'd be sensible. She also says, you always tell me the most beautiful lies. Because of the drugs, she's able to say more truths. She's less inhibited. Definitely. And she maybe reveals a little bit more about herself than she normally does. Because she's a very guarded person naturally, which just makes sense being a young woman with no family trying to make her way in the world. So the geniuses, Kvothe and drug-addled Denna, say, well, this dude's dead, let's sell his drugs. And of course Kvothe is thinking, well, well not, not on the street, no, no, no. But we'll sell it to respectable folk. Alchemists and such. Educated people. People that will make medicine out of it. As though fentanyl wasn't a problem. As if people don't get sick from prescriptions. I mean, people have just as much problems with morphine as they do with heroin. They spend an awfully long time trying to decide how they want to sell these drugs, how they're going to transport these drugs, and they still don't know if Denna's going to die from these drugs. They do seem to be putting the proverbial cart before the horse. And it's... As they start thinking about how the Dracus keeps coming back for more, and they look at the fact that the supply of ophalum trees has dwindled, that they start to realize that when it goes into withdrawal, there are going to be some very real problems. Specifically for the town of Traven. Exactly, because the... Ophalum has lowered the Dracus's inhibitions that would normally keep it away from human settlements. And they also think that it knows the smell of humans means drugs. And as we know, it's harvest festival time, and as future me knows, <laughs> there are going to be some big bonfires going on in Traven, which means perfect Dracus bait. That uh, is not a good combination. No. So... As quick as that, Kvothe goes from, but it's harmless. All it wants to do is fork a fire, to we have to kill it. Yeah, it's a bit of a turn. You gotta figure that there's a part of him that's really hating himself for it. Kind of dying inside. Like you said, this thing is basically the embodiment of him. Yeah, the flame, the thunder, and the broken tree. They only sort of, like, come to this conclusion before Denna succumbs a little more to the drugs and starts thinking about all of the things that she can buy once she sells crap tons of meth. Right? <laughs> Including a pony! <laughs> or our addiction of choice, musical instruments! She's been bitten by the gear acquisition bug. Oh, it's real. So real. And so with that, let's talk about our Frenemos of the Week. Now, there are literally only two characters in this at all. No, no. There are two more that you're ignoring. The Dracus. Nope. The Dracus is not a character. The Dracus is a Dracus. Okay. The dead dude. The dead dude doesn't talk. You're forgetting the very beginning. That's right. Chronicler and Bast. They're delightful, but they're not my frenemos. But Chronicler, you said it yourself. He me. Well, he is you. 
but he also didn't interrupt. He had more screen time than your previous Fernemos from like two weeks ago. <laughs> because yeah. as we know, it's never both. Right. So regale me on how you are going to shoehorn Denna, who has eaten a mouthful of ophalum, into being our Fernemos. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it's never Quoth. So by process of elimination within the main narrative here, it has to be Denna. I was right. <laughs> yep. So the first thing is she pretty quickly susses out that herbivorous is not the same as harmless. <laughs> These are two different things. This is a large creature, and even if it wasn't drug-addled, it would still be dangerous. Because even if it doesn't care to harm you, it still can. She also figures out that the grove of trees was planted in an orderly fashion rather than growing wild. So while Quoth may have more book learning, Denna is the one who synthesizes it. She's able to actually fit those pieces together to figure out what the full scope of everything is in a way that Quoth really isn't. He's pretty much just reading encyclopedia entries and she's figuring out what they're actually looking at based on that stuff. I've said it before, I'll say it again, Quoth has no intellectual curiosity. Yeah, well, he thinks it's just reading stuff and memorizing stuff. That's what he thinks intelligence is. He thinks it's all just learning by rote. And the other thing is she's a pretty keen observer. Like, she notices that... So, the grove is surrounded by a whole bunch of other trees, like just regular maples and such. And the Dracus is ignoring those she actually notices that it's only going for those ophalum trees grown in the grove as opposed to the others. Whereas Quoth is just like, huh, it's going for trees. And so, yeah, it's that observational skill, that ability to see things as they are and then put together new knowledge and then take facts and use that to build a comprehensive picture of the world around her that actually makes her a wise person. So she's Maya Fernimos. I agree with you, although the one thing, the one major, major thing, and I think you hit it exactly on the head. She was hit with the idiot bat for plot reasons. Yep. So that's why we're going to ignore the whole eating the dinner resin. One thing that I do want to point out is that there is a linguistic link between Denna and dinner resin. It does seem to point to the way that Quoth feels around her and the compulsion he feels to seek her out. He's addicted to her. And the way he feels around her. And this is why people oftentimes don't like Denna chapters. Because it turns Quoth into an absolute idiot. Speaking of things that make Quoth appear like an absolute idiot, let's take to heart Master Elodin's lessons and find ourselves an interesting fact of the week. What do you got for me? Alright, so, during this section, Quoth spouts out a lot of random facts. Chickens and lizards eat rocks so that they can digest things. Which is true, they don't have molars, so they eat rocks. And if you have a pet chicken, you have to give them grit. So, this kind of reminds me a little bit of a set of books that I had when I was a kid. And they were full of all of these why questions, like, why is the sky blue? And they had these little bite-sized answers that were fit for a seven-year-old's understanding of the world. And so I'm going to go through some of Quoth's random facts 
and give you answers. But none of these are terribly in-depth. We can just accept that most of them are correct. Most of them. Am I going to have to figure out which one's false? While that would be fun, I did not have the wherewithal in order to do a game for this section. And that is kind of a failing on my part. Oh, They're there. They're there. No, I'm just going to spout random facts at you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So of all of the, hey, Denna, did you know that I'm really quite smart facts that Quoth just throws out casually in conversation whenever he's trying to impress her? There are a few that kind of stuck out to me. So I looked into them more. First, Quoth actually admits that he has no idea how magnets work. And you know what? Scientists really don't know exactly why magnets work. They get how, but not why this works. So according to classical theory, magnetic fields, which are kind of like clouds of energy around magnetic particles, push and or pull other magnetic particles. And these fields most commonly come from negatively charged particles called electrons. So in order for objects to magnetically stick together, their magnetic fields need to line up in the same direction. Otherwise, they'll wind up canceling each other out. There is another theory that involves quantum physics, but I don't understand quantum physics, and I am not about to try to explain quantum physics on a podcast when I don't understand it. So just know that that's also out there. Noted. So secondly, Quoth tells Denna that farmers have to be careful when storing manure, and he gives a reason of it might explode. This is true. There is methane in cow poop but it's not the thing that is the most dangerous about storing manure. There are three other dangerous chemicals that you should worry about, and at least one is way worse than the methane. So first we have ammonia, which can irritate the mucous membranes to the point of causing ulcers in your eyes and respiratory tract. Secondly, it's high concentrations of CO2, and that can cause asphyxiation. And third is hydrogen sulfide, which is heavier than air, quickly fatigues your sense of smell, so you no longer register the rotten egg smell, and it can cause headaches and nausea at low concentrations. And at high concentrations, it actually paralyzes the nerves in your nose. That's terrifying. And this gas combined with the CO2 will suffocate people and animals in poorly ventilated areas. Noted. Third. And this is why I was talking to you a little skeptically about the uh, handful of coals. So activated charcoal definitely does help in cases of drug overdose when given quickly. So like within an hour. But it's really unlikely that the coals from the campfire would be effective for soaking up the toxic chemicals that Denna ate. Because in order to become activated charcoal, natural ingredients like coconut shells, coal, or wood pulp must be superheated and that changes its structure so that it's more of a powder with a large surface area and that makes it more porous which is how it actually draws the toxins into itself like a sponge. Denna pretty much just ate firewood that is you know slightly charred and it's not the same thing and I really don't want to think about all of the splinters or where they will be. Okay. You know, I'm almost tempted to make you eat raspberries just for giving me that image. Oh no! Oh, damn it, Quoth! But, 
I said almost. Okay. But ultimately, I think those were useful bits of information that help us recognize that maybe some things were said for the sake of a story rather than being accurate. Mind you, Denna doesn't die. Yet. So apparently it worked well enough. So I'll accept it. Alrighty. With that, it's time for seven words. And this time you have the book. That's correct. So mine is... Absolutely, I said, especially in my everywhere. Now you have to preface this with context. So this is in response to Denna asking if he's hurt. And Kvothe at the ripe old age of 16 is not yet at the stage where you can hurt yourself by sleeping funny. Probably. But that just felt really real this morning. <laughs> just because I know you woke up with a really stiff shoulder that was causing you all kinds of pain all over your body. And I felt really bad for you. I've been there too. Okay, to be clear, I woke up multiple times during the night and I woke up and got up and I woke up when you went to take your shower. I was perfectly fine. I went back to sleep while you were taking your shower. I wake up, my left shoulder, if I use my right arm, hurts. It's not fair. I don't know what I did to it. <laughs> this quote just seemed incredibly relatable to me. <laughs> I had to empathize with him. And you, once again, have made it nearly impossible for the seven words from the book to make sense on the Instagram picture that I'm going to make. I get to be creative again. Thanks. Good. You're creative. I like it when you're creative. Again, with the Kermit the Frog flat mouth from the last week that I described. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's your turn for seven words from life. What do you have? Let me reach over and grab my book with my broken body. Okay. This week, my seven words are no act of empathy is too small. That's a really good one. Where'd you find that? So there was a video that I watched on YouTube by a channel called Nerdwire, and they were asking for donations towards Black Lives Matter instead of their patrons to give them money on their Patreon. And it just stuck with me. Right now we're living in times, especially in the United States where we are, where our responses to people being hurt or at least some of our responses towards people being hurt, is to find out why they deserve to be hurt, why they deserve to be shot, why they deserve to have bad things happen to them, why they deserve to be killed, why people deserve to have their family members taken away at a young age, to be traumatized by watching their fathers shot by police. And I know we don't usually get that far into political views, which fork political views, because politics is about what gets funding, not who gets to be a person, who deserves to be alive. Our society is losing track of empathy. And it's easy to say that it's along political lines, which is also horse shirt, because while one side of this spectrum is saying people deserve to be respected and 
no matter what they did, violence towards others is unacceptable. And the other side of the spectrum is saying institutions must be protected and violence against institutions is abhorrent. Even the people who are like, hey, but people need to be respected, aren't respecting the people who are like, but institutions need to be respected. And I think that we have to have empathy for others regardless, and that showing our empathy in any way that we possibly can is good. Well said. It's one of many reasons I'm proud to work with you and proud to live with you. I'm proud to have you as my partner in all things. I love you. I love you too. I think with that, I think it's time to say thank you for potting with me. Thank you for potting with me. And thank you for listening to Tales from the Waystone. Join us next week on Tales from the Waystone as we discuss chapters 78 through 79 of The Name of the Wind through the lens of inhibitions. We would like to extend a huge thank you to our friend, Shawnee Jang, for our theme music. And many thanks to Patrick Rothfuss for creating a world that we've enjoyed exploring. Audio production, editing, and social media coordination, courtesy of me, Phoenix McCullough. And writing and project management, courtesy of me, Will McCullough. If you would like to help support us, please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash waystonepod, where right now there is a post up about what we might do as an interlude between The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear, as well as a question about what we might do after the end of The Wise Man's Fear. Granted, it will be a while before we get to the end of that book. And wishful thinking says maybe the next book will be out by the time we get there. But... Anyway, we're kind of thinking about possibly doing a series or a season about Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, or maybe even look at The Dark Tower by Stephen King if you want to do a book. We've just got ideas. And if you would like to know more about our ideas, go ahead and check out our Patreon page. It is a public post, and honestly, we're not asking you to pay us. We just want to communicate with you in something longer than a tweet. Yep. Take a look. Write us a comment. You can also send us messages on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And uh, we're happy to hear from you. And as always, here's to one more day above the roses. To one more day above the roses. Ding! Ding. They do seem to be putting the proverbial heart, heart before the course. Damn spoonerisms.